Lord God, we pray that you would illumine our hearts, that you would prepare us to hear your word. Give me a mouth to preach and all of us ears to hear and hearts to understand what you have to say to us today in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, so I would like you all to grab the Bible, unless you have one that you brought from home, grab the Bible that's in your pew and flip it to Psalm 130. And if someone knows the page number, please cry it out loud. You might get extra credit. Five eighteen, Walker, you get extra credit. Good job. I don't know what it's for, but you get it. <laughs> Psalm one thirty is one of my favorite psalms. It's one that's resonated with me in my spiritual journey, especially when I uh, uh, first became a Christian. And it's an interesting psalm. So psalms are works of poetry, uh, prayers to God that God himself has provided for us to pray in his Bible. And Psalm 130 is interesting because it it, um, covers a couple of different categories or genres of psalms. The first, if you see in in your uh, uh, Bible, there's a preface to Psalm 130. It says, a song of ascents. And what this means is this is a psalm or song that's to be um, uh, sung aloud on pilgrimage to a place of worship. Uh, So um, as one approaches the house of the Lord, the church, or in the Old Testament, in the temple, they would have this psalm that they would uh, sing aloud and pray to God. But this psalm is also interesting because it's also a psalm of penitence or repentance. So it's one that has a lot of remorse and sorrow over sin and a turning away from it and returning to God. So this is just a really appropriate psalm for one who is turning away from sin, returning to the Lord in worship. And so this may resonate with you today. Psalm 130 begins, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. The writer of the psalm sets the stage. He is in the deep, the depths. And this is more or less an emotional state. Elsewhere in the book of Psalms, we hear it described like this in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. The psalm writer is in this state of darkness, deep sadness, and sorrow. He is crying out to God because he is in trouble. And this is a reflection of his emotional state. What is this deep? What is he in sorrow about? This is a psalm about repentance. And so the thing that he is so... uh, torn up about is his own sin, his own sinfulness. Now, the word sin, it it means um, a a law-breaking, in in short. And there's a lot of different synonyms for it, uh, iniquity, transgression, things like this. Um, But what it means is an outward 
disobedience. So sin can, can refer to the actual breaking of a law, like that is a sin. And then there's a condition of sin in which outward law-breaking is a symptom, an indication of a, a, a deep um, inward brokenness, a defiance against God that's just brewing beneath the surface, and it comes out, overflows in breaking God's law. This psalm writer does not like being in this pit, being in this grave that he has dug for himself. He has sin sickness, and sin sickness is when we recognize our own place is so far away from God. We have a, we, you've probably experienced this where you've had a, a pit in your stomach well up. It's a sinking feeling when you know that you've done horrible bad things or something bad. You've gone too far gone or gone too far and know that you are far off from God. It's this recognition, this emotional recognition of the great chasm between us and God. We are, so to speak, in a pit in a grave with no one to get us out. This is where the psalm writer is, and we see that he does not like being there, and so he cries out. We hear, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. The writer, who is a sin-sick man, is crying out, calling out for the only the only possible source of a remedy for this sickness, and it's God himself. He cries out to God for mercy. And if, you know, sometimes when you hear someone cry out for mercy, you might think of like one of those, uh, like a movie, a medieval movie where there's a a king or a judge and a a prisoner, like a prisoner of war or a a thief is brought before them and like, oh, have mercy. And you think it's because the king's about to to take him out. Um, And if you think that, you might have this, idea that God is just itching. She's just itching to wipe you off the face of the earth. And so the cry for mercy is like a Hail Mary, uh, just to maybe possibly get you, get you out of a jam. But this, I think the psalm writer is crying out for mercy because he knows that God can give mercy, that God will be merciful to his cries. We hear him reflect on God's character. In verse 3, if you, O Lord, could, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? What's implied in this is that God himself is righteous, which means upright. He is perfect. And so in, in his presence, anything that is, is sinful and, and against his will just cannot endure. And so he says, if you should mark iniquities, or you might think of someone who's marking and jotting down notes, uh, someone, someone who's observing or keeping watch. If God were to see all of our, our, our sins, who could stand? The implied answer is absolutely no one. Who could endure his presence? If brokenness and sinfulness cannot withstand God's presence, then we're all toast. Not just the psalm writer or me, but everybody. This is a human condition. And we might think, well, maybe God doesn't see all of our sins. Maybe we can hide them and put them under the the rug or hide them in our basement somewhere. 
You know, I'm reminded of this, uh, this story. That there's a chaplain uh, that used to work here named Jesus. And uh, he uh, worked in some Muslim, he was on deployment in some Muslim uh, areas that I think were a little bit friendlier to Westerners because there was a bar there and served alcohol. Um, and I remember him telling me the story that there were some people who were more strict Muslims from, I think, maybe Saudi Arabia. And they were there in the bar drinking. Um, and he went up to him and said, what are you guys doing? Isn't, aren't you supposed to not even touch alcohol in, in Islam? And they said, oh, Allah can't see us here. <laughs> like, it's his blind spot. Now, maybe that's true of Allah, but that's not true of the God of the Bible, the God who is. And in Psalm 90, verse 7, we hear, we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. The, the things that we've done that we are ashamed of, we just hide. We try to even put it out of our own memory. We hope, hope to God, I guess, hope nobody sees them, knows about them. On Judgment Day, God is going to unveil it. He knows them. And so there's nowhere to hide, so to speak. God is righteous. That's the idea of this. But the psalm writer knows more about God's character than just that he is righteous. He is merciful. In verse 4 we hear, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. This is in, in, in contrast. We hear, if you're going to mark iniquities, who would be able to endure? Who would be able to stand? But you, with you there is forgiveness. There is mercy. And this isn't some sort of a process where over time, if you work hard enough, God's going to expunge your sins. No, it's a complete and total wiping away, an exoneration of everything you've done that God himself offers to us. And we hear this in verse 7. With him is plentiful redemption, full, total forgiveness. And it's something that God himself offers to us as part of his character. We'll get to how we receive that forgiveness in a, in a little bit. But it's there. It's with God. And then so there's this last phrase in verse 4, that you may be feared. And most of the time when the, God, when, when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's about a reverence due to him, an honor, an utmost kind of a trembling honor that's given to him. There's a sense, though, of we know that God brings wrath, he is perfect. God brings mercy. And we're in his hands. And that is a fearful place to be. It's a fearful, to quote Hebrews, it's a, a, it's a, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so this is something that we need, to, we need to approach with fear and trepidation. But the psalm writer, in response to God's righteous mercy, to God's character, how does he respond? This is what we hear in verse 5. We hear, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. We might hear, I wait for the Lord, and my thinking like someone looking at their stopwatch or watch and saying, well, what's taking so long? But that's not what's implied here. It's, it's this patient knowing that God will come through, that God longs to deliver, to put it, putting our hope and our trust 
and pledging our allegiance in him. That's the waiting that's spoken of here. And it's something that the psalm writer deeply desires within, deep within his own being. That's what my soul waits, that means. We hear, hear also, in his word, I hope, the word in, in, the, um, in the Book of Common Prayer that we recited together is, in his word, I trust. So it's a trusting in God's word. And God's word can mean the Holy Scriptures. In particular here, I think he's talking about the promise that he says in verse 8, he will redeem Israel. He will redeem his people from all their iniquities. That's a promise. And that's something that the psalm writer is, is, is all in on. He's banking on. He's trusting God at his word. But the word, for those of us who, who are familiar with, with the New Testament, the final word of God was made flesh. We hear in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, John 1.14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is God's promise in the flesh. The forgiveness of sins is found with Jesus, the word made flesh, the light and the darkness the sacrifice of sin for, for our forgiveness from sin, the bridge between God and man, Jesus alone, he is where our faith truly lies. And so when the psalm writer says, I, I wait for the Lord and, and in his word, I hope, the call for us is to trust in his word. God has spoken many times through many prophets in the past, but in these latter days, he's spoken through his word, Jesus his word in the flesh. The psalm writer continues on, and he provides an analogy for this waiting, this trust, this hope. He says, I hope more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. He repeats it. So if he says it twice, it must be pretty important. In this, in this illustration, I don't know if anyone's had a job where they had to work the, the, the graveyard shift. Uh, so I used to work for a wedding venue. Many of you know Winmock Barn, um, our sister church, Good Shepherd uh, meets there. But I used to work um, for the, the, the wedding venue side of things. And so after a late night partying wedding, uh, we would come out there and, and scoop up all the beer cans and spilt who knows what. And we were there scrubbing the floors till really, really late in the middle of the night. And then we had to flip and prepare for the wedding the next morning. And, you know, uh, in the best case scenario, I'd get home at 3, 3.30 in the morning and get some sleep. You know, the watchman here, it's more like a guardsman um, on a guard tower, guarding a fortified city at nighttime, waiting for an ambush to come at night. This is what Jerusalem was like. So the guardsmen, the watchmen, waited for an attack. They were on alert at all times. And when the sun came up, they weren't going to be ambushed. It was okay. They could calm down. And they could finally get some shut-eye. You think about how much the watchmen waited for that sun to come up. More than that, over doubly more than that, the psalm writer waits for the Lord, trusts that he will come through, trusts in his promise. Trust is the bridge between the sin-sick person and the righteous mercy of God. 
Trust is the key to us receiving that mercy. Now, the writer of this psalm, this is mostly an individual reflection. His own sin sickness, his trust in the Lord, his hope on him. But then he makes a broader appeal. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And this means that this word is to all of God's people, to all of us. The call to us is to hope in the Lord. God is where we find that full forgiveness, that exoneration, that unconditioned and undying love. Even when we are not faithful, he and his character, we know this about him. He is always faithful. So what do we do when we find ourselves in the depths? When we find out that we have dug our own grave and it's so deep we can't pull ourselves out. So all we can do is cry out. What do we do when we're in the depths? Well, I'm, I'm preaching, so I've got three R words. The first thing we are called to do is to remember. Remember the Lord's mighty acts of old. Remember how he has redeemed Israel through history, how he delivered them from the bonds of Egypt, from slavery, from the house of slavery, and how he provides full and complete forgiveness, namely in the cross of Jesus. Remember God. Remember his promise, his faithfulness, and his mercies. That's the, the prodigal son who he goes off into a far-off land. He squanders everything he's got. He, starts, he has to eat food or longs to eat food that pigs eat, like slop. He then remembers his father's house. He remembers that even servants were fed. The first thing is to do is to remember God's goodness, his mercy, the second is to return. Like the prodigal son who said, I will go to my father. Jeremiah 3, or verse 21, this is uh, the Old Testament reading today. We hear, a voice on the bare heights is heard, the weeping and pleading of Israel's son, because they have perverted their way, they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, O faithless sons, I will heal your faithlessness. Return to the Lord and he will heal your faithlessness. He will provide that forgiveness, that complete exoneration from sin, all sin for you. Cry out like the psalm writer for mercy and he will give it. And as a result of returning to the Lord, call us to respond. To respond with continuous hope. To respond with waiting to resound with praises for all that God has done in Christ in your life. The complete total forgiveness he has given to you as a gift. With him is complete forgiveness, plentiful redemption. He has abounding in fidelity to us in steadfast love. He alone is worth hoping in, and he will fulfill his promises. He will redeem his people, his chosen Israel, from all their sins and their evil, that they, his praise, may cry aloud. In the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Amen.